The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. This past week, I was listening to a lecture by a, a New Testament scholar named John Barclay. And in his lecture, he uh, put to words something that I've been sensing for a while in our culture, but haven't been able to verbalize. Uh, He says this. He says, We live in an age when crises of self-worth seem to have reached epidemic proportions. Schools, colleges, counselors, churches, health workers, all reporting a sharp and shocking rise in the number of people, especially young people, who are reporting a collapse in their self-esteem and a sharp rise in anxiety, self-doubt, and depression. He says that we're in a crisis of self-worth. Uh, He notes that some in our society are profiting off this. Uh, He says that marketing agencies are uh, paying uh, social influencers on social media uh, millions of dollars to simply insert their product into this person's feed. Maybe we've seen this. Um, Here is a social media account that depicts luxury, uh, happiness, Uh, beauty, popularity, and guess what? These people use Axe body spray and drink Pepsi. Isn't that interesting? It's a brilliant marketing move, right? Um, Take an account, take a a lifestyle that we associate with high self-esteem, with worth, with value, a, a lifestyle that some of us, frankly, might fantasize about having. And then insert your product, so that it's associated with that life. But he notes that not everyone is trying to profit off of this crisis. Some people are, are really trying to help. Uh, he says there are some popular teachers, you can see on YouTube, uh, that are saying, you know, In the face of impossible perfection that we put on ourselves, um, in the face of impossible expectations in the world, just embrace yourself. Just accept yourself as you are with all your faults and all your failures. Just look inside yourself and find that real you, that authentic you. That's where you'll find joy. That's where you'll find worth. Yet, in my mind, this approach doesn't have the power to deliver what it promises. Uh, It leaves us asking, where does this worth come from? Um, And what about all of those who this deceptively effortless self-worth is not an option? What if we simply don't like who we are or we don't like who we find ourselves to be at the end of the day? 
So with this worth crisis that I think we all sense, um, and with some solutions, whether that's products or whether that's self-help, aren't delivering, I think that in our passage for today, Paul offers us good news. And good news for our culture in the midst of a self-worth crisis. Let's look at 1 Corinthians verse 26 and 27 together. Let's read what he says again. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. What's going on? What's Paul saying here? Well, I think to understand what he's saying, we have to have a little background. We need some context. Um, And it appears that the church in Corinth um, was being shaped, its practice and its life was being shaped by the cultural value system that was in Corinth. Um, this newly formed community uh, was living out of the world's system of worth, and it was causing issues. It was causing divisions in the church. Uh, there were divisions about which leader to follow. Uh, the Corinthians, maybe you can identify with this, they were looking for a spiritual leader that they could follow, that they could really look to. Uh, They were looking for a leader that matched their old systems of value and worth. And someone like Apollos did that very well. Um, Apollos was someone who was a a trained speaker. Uh, He had the education and he had the rhetoric of the day that people were looking for in a leader. Apollos, now that's someone that we can follow. They were attaching their faith to the personality of a leader. Now, thank God that this isn't something that we struggle with anymore in the church. There were divisions among leaders. There were also divisions at the Lord's Supper, which might sound kind of peculiar to us. Uh, But we see this in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 11. Uh, We see that there are people getting drunk at the Lord's Supper, and there are people that are leaving hungry. As is, is a teenager, this always confused me. Because I thought, one, how do you get drunk off a shot of grape juice? And two, of course you're going to leave hungry. It's a cracker. That's why you go to lunch afterwards. Right? Well, the Lord's Supper was done a little differently then. Uh, at this time, the Lord's Supper was actually part of a larger meal that would take place in wealthier members' homes. And the wealthier members would uh, provide the food for everybody. Um, And so what you have is these wealthy members that are just following the cultural value system or system of worth of their day. And what did that mean? Well, it meant that the guests with the highest social standing, they would be in the best room right, at the table. And then lesser guests, well, you put them in the atrium. And oh, what about 
those servants. Well, we'll just put them in a back room. And so maybe they don't get food, and then maybe the most honored guests are getting a ton of food and getting drunk. So, so you can see how or why Paul is freaking out at this. Why he's saying this can't be. But, but think about it. For the Corinthians, they're not necessarily doing anything malicious. They're just living out of the cultural value system of, <clears throat> of their day. Of their day. Okay, so with this backdrop in mind, let's go back to Paul's words in verse 26. And what is Paul doing to the church? What is he saying to them in light of all this? He tells them, he exhorts them to consider their calling. Uh, to put it a little differently, uh, to consider their salvation. Um, a lot of the Corinthians, not all of them, but a lot of the Corinthians would have been seen as nobodies in Corinth. Uh, they were nothing by worldly standards. Uh, not many of them were intellectuals, as the world counts cleverness. Uh, not many were social influencers in their day. Uh, not many were born into high status. Yet, consider your calling, Corinthians. God has not called you and rescued you and lavished his gifts upon you because of any of those things. Paul wants them to see that God didn't call them because of their intelligence. God didn't call them because of their influence. God didn't call them because of their family lineage. No, he didn't save them based upon their worldly value or worth. He saved them because it pleased him to shower upon them his grace and his mercy and his, and his endless love. Irregardless of any of the world's value systems, irregardless of their worth. Now, this, this was a scandal in the ancient world. Uh, I think we can see uh, how this is a scandal when we look at the words of Philo. Uh, Philo was an uh, ancient philosopher uh, from Alexandria. And Philo said this about God. I think it's interesting. Uh, Philo said, okay, God gives his uh, best gifts, uh, the highest gifts, to fitting and proper recipients. Uh, he gives basic gifts, the basic gifts of life, to everybody, but he gives his best gifts, the most desirable gifts. To who? Fitting and proper recipients. Well, who's that for Philo? Well, for Philo... A fitting and proper recipient is male, not female, free, not slave, educated, not the ignorant. Surprise, surprise, to people exactly like Philo. For Philo, God's gifts are conditioned upon worldly status and achievement. But Paul says something different in Ephesians 2.8. His words are familiar with, but think of them in light of Philo. Paul says, For by grace you have been saved, 
through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the, what? The gift of God. The gift of God. For Paul, God gives his best gifts. The gift of salvation. The gift of himself in Jesus Christ. Not to friends, but to enemies. Not to the righteous, but to the unrighteous. Not to the godly, but to the ungodly. And so Paul wants the Corinthians, is called, called ones in Christ, to stop viewing themselves and others by the world's system of worth because God did not save them based upon it. And you see how crazy it would be for the church in Corinth to reinstitute these old systems of worth into their life. The gospel reveals something radical in Paul's day and in ours, and it's this. Human systems of worth and value do not ultimately matter because they do not matter to the grace of God. Let me say that again. Human systems of worth and value do not ultimately matter because they do not matter to the grace of God. So, what does this have to say to our crisis of self-worth that we have in our own day, in our own culture, in the church? Well, there's an idea that I came across this week, and I think it's really helpful for our conversation. Uh, there's an idea called symbolic capital. Symbolic capital, all right? It, if you're going to check out in the sermon, don't do it now, all right? Or the rest of it isn't going to make any sense. Uh, symbolic capital, all right? Uh, the idea, think with me, the idea is that each domain or each area in society has its own symbolic capital or symbolic currency that determines a person's value. So let's all participate together. Uh, to see your symbolic capital, all you have to do is answer the question, what gives you worth or value? And let's not just give the Sunday school answer just yet, right? Um, what gives you worth or value? Uh, in the world of the university, in the world of parenting or, or business, what gives you value there? Or let me ask it this way. What makes you feel okay about yourself at the end of the day? It's going to be different for all of us. Uh, for some of us, it's the amount of success we've had in our position in the company. Uh, for some of us, it's uh, social status, influence, the amount of money we have makes us feel okay. Or, or maybe for some of us, it's our personality. It's, it's the ability to command a room. Maybe for some of us, it's the fact that we're married and we have kids. Or maybe it's the fact that we're the perfect parents with the perfect kids. Or for some of us, maybe it's the fact that we have a visible appearance that matches cultural expectations. Maybe, maybe that's where we find our worth. I, I don't have any specific examples this morning, but I just sense that some of us in this room feel absolutely crushed by the world's system of value this morning feel absolutely crushed by the world's system of value. We feel tired 
we feel in despair because we're constantly judging our lives. We are constantly gaining our sense of self based upon our symbolic capital. Like the Corinthians, although we are in Christ, we are still seeing ourselves and we're still seeing others according to the old systems of worth. And so Shades Valley, if, if that is you this morning, then in the midst of this struggle, may you hear the good news of the gospel. And the good news of the gospel is not embrace yourself. We've tried that. It doesn't work. The good news of the gospel is be embraced by God. When you feel crushed by your lack of symbolic capital, consider your salvation. Or as Paul would say, consider your calling. Because God didn't call you because of the amount of success you've had or your position in the company. He didn't call you because of your accomplishments. He didn't call you because you're the ideal parent with the perfect kids. He didn't call you because you have a spouse or you're single. He didn't call you because you have a ton of money. He didn't call you because of your personality or your talent. He didn't call you because your body conforms to cultural expectations. He didn't call you because of your popularity. He didn't call you because of your good works or your past or your righteousness or your church attendance or your obedience or your quiet time. He called you because of the great love that he has for you. He called you because it pleased him to pour out the riches of his grace upon you, to pour out his mercy in Christ by grace through faith. He saved you with no regard to your symbolic capital. And in doing so, you know what he does? He shows the foolishness of the world's system the world's value system. He saved you with no regard to your intelligence, and in doing so, he shows you his wisdom. He saved you with no regard to human power, and in doing so, he shows you his power. He saved you with no regard to your family status, and in doing so, he's brought you into the family of God. So this morning, consider your salvation. Consider the worth of Christ, because ultimately, Shades, we don't need a self-esteem boost this morning. We need to boast in Christ. We need to boast in Christ and worship him. In uh, 2005, uh, the late author, David Foster Wallace, uh, gave what's come to be known as one of the greatest commencement addresses of all time. Uh, I see it quoted and talked about everywhere. Um, and what's interesting, you'll see when we get into the quote, uh, Wallace grew up in an atheist household. Uh, yet, I think you could say that his life was always marked by um, being haunted by transcendence. He was haunted by transcendence. Something beyond the material world. Um, and he says these kind of provocative words to his secular audience. He says this, In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. You want to worship money and things? If they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You'll never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body, 
and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when, the, and when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, and you will feel weak and afraid. You will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Wow. I think here Wallace reveals something about the self-worth conversation that normally gets left out. And it is, as human beings, we are constantly looking for something outside of us to declare our worth. We're constantly looking for something to declare our worth. We are constantly worshiping things. We, we can't help it. It's our default position. We are wired that way. And ultimately, I think this reveals that the self-worth crisis, though it has many problems, I think Ultimately, the self-worth crisis is a worship crisis. It's a worship crisis. The gods that Wallace mentions all promise the gift of worth and high self-esteem by offering us more what? Symbolic capital. More symbolic capital in the world's system of worth. And this is where they fail and destroy us. They turn us back into ourselves to boast in ourselves or to despair in our failures. But you and I were never created to boast in ourselves. We were never created to glory in ourselves. We were created, as Paul says in our passage, to boast in the Lord, to glory in the Lord. So when I am down, when, when I think at base level that I am scum, a failure worth nothing, which happens more than you would think, I need to consider my salvation. I need to hear that I'm a son of the king. I need to hear that I'm loved and I'm accepted and I'm given a future in Jesus Christ. Yes, but that can't be where, the, where I stop. Because my heart wasn't created just to think about myself. My heart was created to delight and rejoice and exalt in Jesus Christ. My heart was created to fix my eyes on him. My heart was created to go outside of myself and onto him and to see his worth and to see his beauty and to see his glory and to see his gospel, which is that I was saved irregardless of human standards of worth. That I was saved totally because of who God is, his love in his grace. And in that, that gives me a security and a worth and a purpose and a future that nothing else in this world can. It draws me outside myself into the glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Amen.